Shaloma. You're listening to Watered Womanhood, the podcast for women walking in the truth of who Yahuwah the Most High says we are, where we uncover what it means to be His bride. I'm Rabbi Shah Aloha Lani, founder of the Hebrew Housewife, a set-apart homemaking block for the daughters of Israel. I've been studying the Word all my life and ministering to Israelite sisters since 2019 by the grace of Abinawa with original homemaking tips, biblical marital advisory, and truth-based devotionals. Join me in building up the kingdom at Watered Womanhood on Instagram, thehebrewhousewife.com, and right here as we fellowship in spirit and in truth. Oh my goodness. As I said in the last episode on the Watered Womanhood podcast, Watered Womanhood is one year old. And I couldn't have done this without you. I couldn't have done this without your prayers. I couldn't have done this without the Most High. I could not have done this without the support of my wonderful husband. And I'm really just so grateful to be here. This is the last episode of season one. Woo! So the next episode will officially be episode one of season two. And I'm so excited to say that we've got some great things coming up and I cannot wait to share them with you. Oh, after a year of podcasting, first of all, let me just say, Podcasting is not easy. Like, oh my goodness. It's really not. Like, especially if you're a one woman show, you're, uh, first of all, you're coming up with a copy and the topics. Add the element of scripture, right? You got to make sure you're not mishandling the word. And then you're doing all the recording and the editing and the uploading, not to mention the marketing and trying to promote it. So, I really greatly do appreciate your prayers because after one year of the Watered Womanhood podcast, we've had 15 episodes, 3,400 all-time listens. We've reached over 11 countries. We've made a total of $27. (laughs) Our most played episode is use your feminine emotion instead of running at 300 total plays. Um, The episode with the most feedback, you know, with sisters saying that they enjoyed it or that it was helpful was five things excellent Hebrew women do. And my favorite episode that I enjoyed recording the most, that I often come back to, and that I thought might have been the most played or, you know, the episode with the most feedback, but hey, what do I know? The power of vulnerability. I loved that episode. I love the message, you know, because that was so far above me. Like that came straight from the most high. And I remember recording it and I was just like blown away. And I uh, I don't know, I was having like revelations, you know what I mean? You know how it is when you, you think you're going to speak the word and it's going to touch somebody else, but really, <laughs> it's touching you. The change is happening within. Hallelujah. So, I also want to say that the Hebrew Housewife blog is now also three years old. 
Um, wow. It's 2022. I started the Hebrew Housewife blog in 2019. And it's just... I just can't put into words how blessed I feel. How blessed I am. And how thankful I am to the Most High. Because, you know, for other people from the outside looking in, it may not seem like a great feat or very important to you. But for me, um, this is me being vulnerable. Okay, this is Sister Asha being very vulnerable right now. I've not had much in life and I've not been able to hold on to the things that I have had, you know, so being given this platform and seeing it mature and age like wine, you know, and just age me like wine, it is surreal. It is, it's just mind boggling, you know, like I just... Sometimes I run from it, but other days I wake up and I'm just like, wow, this was a gift. This is an opportunity to worship my Lord. You know, like this is what I prayed for. And it gives me the opportunity to connect with so many of you beautiful sisters. And I just, I just can't thank him enough. I'm just so, so grateful this is really just the beginning. I've never expected to reach this many people at all. Like, it astounds me. Um, I'm really grateful to have something to produce for the Most High and to share with his daughters. And this journey has brought me deeper into the word. Like, that's really the main thing. You know what I mean? Because it's impossible for you to want to share the word with other people without it having a real transformation on your life. And, you know, podcasting for me, from what I've learned from other podcasters, is first and foremost a learning opportunity for the podcaster, you know, and not for them to assert their authority or, you know, pretend to be an expert because none of us are experts at anything, to be honest. You know, we can be the jack of all trades and the master of none. I mean, that's how I feel. I feel like life is just a never, ever growing learning experience. So I never started this podcast with the intention of being the authority. I knew I was going to learn like this was a documentation of my journey and the education that I've acquired. And I've achieved just that you know, really being transformed by the word. After a year of the Water Womanhood podcast, I do feel more ladylike. <laughs> I do feel more womanly. I do feel more feminine. I feel like a better wife, you know, and it's not just because of the podcast. It's because of life, but I feel like each episode is a reflection of what I'm going through that month or that week and or just in that season, and that, you know, during that time, after I overcame that hump, or while I was still going through that trial um, or test, the most I put it on my heart to open his word, and that is how I got before the microphone to say, you know what, 
this is what I'm going through. This is a message that the Most High has given me, and I'm choosing to share it with you. So know that Sister Asha does not think she's the authority. Sister Asha's podcast is just Sister Asha (laughs) documenting her journey. And I'm just so grateful that you have decided to join me. This journey has just given me so much great self-reflection, you know, and and I don't just mean that in a negative way. I like to beat up on myself, but I'm not going to beat myself up right now. I don't just mean that in a negative way. Like, yes, this journey has taught me um, my flaws, my shortcomings, where I can improve, things that I should repent from or people that I should forgive or different things I should forgive myself for, but it has also showed me a lot of my strengths. It has also helped me to outline where I stand strong and, you know, just show me what I love about myself. Show me what is worthy of loving in me. And the word says that he knit you together in your mother's room. That's crazy. You know, and I've had to take that in daily that, you know, I didn't fashion myself together in this way. I was created with immaculate hands. And whenever I think that I am seeing an imperfection, I'm really just seeing an opportunity for me to get closer to my father. I have become much more comfortable in my femininity and womanhood. And I've learned the difference between being feminine and being girly. (sighs) Feminine versus girly. That is the topic for today's episode. The two are often conflated and used interchangeably. When we see a girly woman or a girly girl, we see her as feminine. She does have a feminine appearance, but... The scripture is clear that biblical womanhood is deeper than the outer man. And who is a better authority on what true femininity is than the one who created it, the Most High? Oftentimes, we envision a feminine woman. We see someone who is well-maintained. You know, she has a neat appearance. She looks very put together. You know, you can tell she put a lot of thought into her Um, outfit and her presentation. Um, We'll see someone who is dainty, you know, maybe their nails are clean. They're wearing small dainty jewelry. You know, they're wearing the right color for their skin tone or their hair is not too voluminous, but it's just right. It fits their face shape. We'll see someone who's soft in speech or mannerism. You know, the woman is beautiful or comely. And we might also imagine a feminine woman being seductive or mysterious or at least I do because you know if you're a feminine woman you're not just letting it all hang out because you know I this is my opinion not to judge anybody (laughs) but as a woman and this is just my prized virtue my favorite feminine virtue mystique you can never have enough mystique as a woman you can never have enough privacy like you can never have enough of making people wonder and making people curious you know why because it makes them inquire of you it draws them into you you know it 
provides people an opportunity to ask about you. And most importantly, that limits the opportunity for gossip about your life because you're not giving anybody anything to work with. Moving on. These are all components of femininity, right? Having a neat appearance, being dainty, speaking softly, being beautiful, and having mystique. But make no mistake, a woman can be all of those things. You can have all of those things and still carry a hyper-masculine spirit. In my own experience, I faced the challenge of cultivating a feminine posture that is rooted deep within me, you know, before trying to focus on the flowers and the fruit. The beauty, the adornments, and the presentation, those are the fruits. But the essence of biblical womanhood is true femininity. The essence of femininity is biblical womanhood. So let's go back to basics. In my very first episode, we discussed the biblical woman, the bride of Yahuwah, the holy city, New Jerusalem, the wife of God, the wife of the God of Israel. It's us as a nation. This is from Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 2, ending at 3. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. This next reading is from Hosea chapter 2, verse 16 through 23. And it shall be at that day, saith Yahuwah, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shall no more call me Baali. For I will take away the names of Baalim out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of the heaven, and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. And thou shalt know, Yahuwah, and it shall come to pass in that day. I will hear, saith Yahuwah, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel, and I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. This final passage is from Isaiah chapter 54. Verse 1 through 10. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. 
Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that did not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith Yahuwah. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband. Yahuwah Sabaoth is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. For Yahuwah hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith Yahuwah thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah's unto me. For I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith Yahuwah that hath mercy on thee. Let me just say, these three precepts, you know, and it's the whole book of Hosea, not just that short passage, but these are for me the roots, the truth. When a lot of people say they're walking in the truth, I don't know what they're talking about, but this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Walking as the body, walking as the bride, realizing that you're in a covenant with your creator. We are his wife. We're his, we're in a marriage with him. He has given us a covenant, an eternal covenant. He says, I will even betroth thee to me in faithfulness. These precepts, and there are many more on this topic, but for the sake of time, I will just continue to reference the ones that I've used um, and the ones that have founded this podcast. They not only establish that we are his bride, they establish that one, marriage is a covenant. And this covenant that we have with him, this peace covenant, is our marriage with him. It is a sacred oath that the Most High has made to us before heaven and earth, that we will be his people and he will be our God, that he is our husband and that he will never pour down his wrath on us as he had in times past. 
These precepts also establish that he is the one who redeemed us from slavery, not just from Egypt or Syria, Babylon, Rome, and Greece, but from right here in the United States and every other place wherein Negroes were enslaved. And you can call me a conspiracy theorist, and really it's not even a theory because People don't want us to know who we are. They don't want us to know the power that we have. They don't want us, most importantly, to serve the God who saves us time and time again because they know once we do, the the clock starts ticking. It's only a matter of time. They want you to believe that the only reason that you are free from slavery is because Abraham Lincoln decided (laughs) he didn't want the country divided over such a trivial matter as people being forced to labor, forced to have sex, forced to bear children and do other things that I won't get into. No, you're not free because of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln is nobody's savior. Abraham Lincoln wanted to abolish slavery because the South was more economically powerful than the North and a country divided against itself cannot stand. And it was either the North go back into having slaves or the South give up their slaves and pretty much economically collapse, you know? And if the South were or had become, you know, as economically great as the North feared that they would, there would have been another civil war. I mean, there was a civil war. But imagine the South... winning the civil war completely overtaking the north making our country what i'm going to assume they want us to believe (laughs) is the epitome of everything abraham lincoln hates even though he enjoyed the spoils of that life his whole life and so had his forefathers And he would have continued to enjoy it had he not feared being overtaken by a majority. The Most High has freed us and he is the only one who will take credit for it. He is our Redeemer. Historians and the history books, and I'm not going to get into it because I know how it is when you start speaking the truth. They want you to believe that you're free because of, you know, Harriet Tubman or that you're free because um, you didn't get free into the Civil War. But there were thousands, thousands of revolts from enslaved humans all over this country. Yearly. These things were happening yearly. Our people were resisting daily. Every That's why I hate (laughs) slavery movies. And I'm kind of going off on a tangent. I hate slavery movies because it tries to portray us as being docile. And, you know, only giving us a little splish splash here and there. We got Nat Turner and we got Harriet Tubman. And it's like, no. We have us. We have the most high. This was not 
um, a one-off. These are not rare occurrences. Our people were breaking free daily. Daily. But it's hard to stay free as a people when the laws that govern the country that you're in say that you're not even human, you're property. You're you're not even a whole man, you're two-thirds of a man. Where can you go? Even if you break free from, quote-unquote, your master. When you are found, when you are discovered and you don't have arms, right? Firearms. How, how much longer can you resist going back? And for a lot of people, going back was just not an option. So they're not here today to tell their stories because they would have rather died. Their descendants aren't here. Their blood is not on the earth. Their, their lineage was completely cut off with them. Because they would have rather died than return. Never let people tell you, Abraham Lincoln, he didn't save anybody. Moving on. The Most High saved us because we are his bride. He will continue to do so because that's a part of his covenant, right? The scripture ordains for a man to lay down his life for a wife just like Christ did for the church. The Most High will continue to put his pride aside and put his wrath aside for us because we're in a covenant with him. That's just that. These scriptures, especially Hosea, are explicit that we were a whore. We took what the Most High gave us in marriage and we used it to get what we want. And if you read Hosea chapter one, um, it makes that very clear that, you know, the Most High is saying to Hosea, I want you to go and marry a whore named Gomer. And, um, you know, whore, it means a prostitute. It, it can either mean um, a woman who makes her bread and butter through sex or a woman who makes her bread and butter through sexual activities that may not include sex. Right. Or it could just mean a woman who is refusing to get married and who is having sex willy nilly, um, you know, without commitment and without, you know, basically she's just living her best life as the modern woman will say her whole life is a hot girl summer. I'm going to just say it like her, her whole life is a hot girl summer. That's what a whore is. That's what a prostitute is. It doesn't necessarily mean a sex worker, but it can include a sex worker. That is how he likens us. He tells Hosea, marry her, right? And this is what's going to happen. You're going to give her these nice things, right? You're going to give her oil. You're going to give her wine. You're going to give her flour and flax. You're going to give her wool. You're going to have give her gems and jewels and restore her beauty, right? Restore her dignity as a whore, you know, and, and transform her, right? You're going to turn this whore into a housewife basically. And <laughs> she's going to take these nice things and she's going to use them to wow other men. She's going to attract other men and she's going to turn back to her whoredoms. But you know what? Your loving kindness, it's going to be so great. You're going to take her back, but not before you strip her naked. Not before you take away those things that you gave her. Not before you take away her dignity again. And then ask her, where's her savior? Where are the men, right? Where are the Johns that you had? 
the men that you say care about you, the men that love you, what have they given you? They've done nothing but not only take from you, but take from me because I gave you these things and you're wasting them. This is how the Most High likens us in the book of Hosea. We are Gomer. We are that whore. We are that unruly woman. We are that prostitute who was saved by him. And he says in his word, I did not choose you because you were the greatest. I chose Israel because you were the least. We talk a lot about, you know, how great of a people we were before the great fall, AKA slavery, right? And not even just US slavery, but all the other periods we were enslaved because of our idiocy. But we rarely talk about the wickedness that polluted our lands, right? A lot of the same wickedness that we perpetuate today, right? The whoredoms, the witchcraft, the idolatry, the lies, the murders. And we got to have this conversation. We enslaved Gentiles worse than they have enslaved us. This is something that is being hidden from us. This is something that no mainstream news outlet, no mainstream education platform, the powers that be just don't want this information to be exposed at all. But if you look hard enough, you will find that Negroes, the Moors, in Europe before the Renaissance, right? Which is why the period before the Renaissance is called the Dark Ages, enslaved Caucasians and other pale races. And not just by virtue of, you know, the same reasons that they enslaved us, but there was a strong caste system. And those people were, and to be truth be told, they still are, the racial minority across the globe. And the heinous things that we did to them absolutely justifies <laughs> the last 500 years that we've been through. And the Most High says he will strip us in Deuteronomy chapter 28, where we read about the blessings and the curses, should we choose to abide or disobey um, the ordinances that he's given us. And it says, you'll be hungry, naked, thirsty, and in want of all things. And when Hosea stripped his wife again, when she came crawling back, he took her clothes, he took her food, he took her wine. She had nothing. She was in want of all things. This parallel is what we're going through. We are hungry. We are thirsty. We are naked. We are in want of all things. What industries do we own? What ports do we own? What is our export and our import? What do we control about our own life? All these, you know, Black power and black dollar Negroes and Negresses <laughs> on the internet and on TV love to talk about how we have, what, $13 trillion in spending power. What is spending power? 
What is spending power? What does spending power benefit us when Korean Americans are on average are the most wealthy Americans on our land? What the hell is spending power? <laughs> like I I genuinely would like to know how does it benefit us? We don't have anything. We can't keep anything. And that's not just because of slavery, because <laughs> people would like to have us forget, right? They trying to keep doing this hypnosis on us. They want us to forget that after slavery was abolished, it didn't even take us 50 years to have the strongest and the fastest growing economy in the world as African-Americans, quote unquote. Literally, no country has ever seen the growth or the strength that we produced at that time. We had our own schools. We had our own businesses. We had our own law offices. We had our own libraries. We had our own hospitals. We had our own grocery stores. We had our own everything. Everything. We owned hundreds of millions of acres of land, and I'm not making this up. And then you know what happened? The lynching, the mobbing, the picnics. They would hang us from trees and stand around and dance and laugh, rejoice. And if you look at those pictures, and I highly advise that you don't, but if you <laughs> go back and you look at those pictures, the, the people that are hanging from trees are dressed nicely. They were hanging our doctors. They were hanging our lawyers. They were hanging the school teachers. They were burning down our libraries, burning down our schools, burning down our hospitals, burning down our churches. And they want us to forget. We're not the generation that's going to forget. I'm not going to forget. I hope you don't forget. And then Martin Luther King had a dream. So instead of us having our own water fountains and our own buses and our own schools and hospitals, Martin Luther King <laughs> decided we're just going to go to y'all hospital. We're going to drink from your fountain. Why? Because we weren't ready to take up arms. We weren't ready to take up arms. And that's just the truth. The point that this country was coming to was the exact fear that Abraham Lincoln had. That if we want something, we got to be ready to defend it. And we can't keep being lynched. We can't keep dying. You can't keep killing us just because our economy is better than yours. We were literally on the verge of having our own currency. That's how strong our economy was, period. The first female millionaire in the world, in the history of the world, not even just the world, in the history of time, Madam C.J. Walker. Period. They don't want you to know. Our wealth didn't, it just, it just wasn't before slavery, right? We wasn't just kings and queens before slavery. We were wealthy after slavery. 
And what happened? We squandered it. We weren't really ready to be free. In the words of Kanye, slavery was a choice. People wake up every day and choose to bow down to their masters. And it ain't the most high. Hungry, naked, thirsty, and in want of all things. Because of whoredoms. Because of our prostitution as the bride of Israel. By virtue of this knowledge and being able to see the parallel between Hosea, Isaiah, Revelation, really just the whole Bible, because the whole Bible is really the story <laughs> of how the Most High found his wife and brought her up because he could have chose the angels, right? He could have chose something afar off that we don't even know because his knowledge is as far above ours as the heavens is above the earth and then some. We don't know what else he's created that he could have chose, but he chose us. And that means something. That's special. That's important. He chose us. And the Bible is the covenant. The Bible is the documentation. The Bible is the record. It has been established <laughs> greater than the presence of two witnesses. Greater than three witnesses. We see that womanhood is clearly not excuse me, clearly not defined by having feminine qualities or a feminine appearance. Biblical womanhood is the embodiment of the bride of Yahuwah, the holy city, New Jerusalem, a redeemed body. And I'm expecting pushback when I say this. I'm expecting, <laughs> I'm expecting that what I'm about to say is going to be a little bit controversial. Um, because we live in an age of feminism and I just don't know if you can tell, but Sister Asha is not a feminist. I'm very anti-feminist because feminism is destroying women's lives. Feminism is destroying men's lives. Feminism is destroying families. Feminism is destroying the earth. Um, the reason I say that biblical womanhood is the embodiment of the bride of Yahuwah, because the Most High's vision for us is to be humble and humility doesn't come without humiliation. It just doesn't. It doesn't. For men, for women, for children, for animals, for the angels, for anything that the Most High has created, most of the time, humility, 99% of the time, there's no humility unless you've been humiliated. And humiliation does not always mean that something bad happened. It just means you've had a humbling experience, right? You cannot become enlightened without enlightening. In the same way, you cannot become humble without humiliation. That's just a part of the process of, you know, remembering your position, remembering your submission, remember that you have a Lord, remembering that um, you know, the most high is not just your friend. He is your creator. He is your redeemer. He is in a place of authority over us. And what we're experiencing now is that humiliation. It is us not being able to defend ourselves, not being able to have our own, our own hospitals, right? And amongst many other things, we are seeing and living in our own humility right now. And in the book of Hosea, that man did not take that whore back. 
until she completely humbled herself and she admitted her wrong and there was not a single iota of pride left in her heart because she was hungry and naked and thirsty and she wanted all things. There wasn't a single thing that she had and she crawled back to her man and this is how we should be. This is the humility that the Most High envisions for us because that's literally the only way that we will be serious about turning back to him. And my controversial input is that this is the only way any woman will be serious about commitment to her men simply because of the way that women are um, tempted by the world. I say this all the time that men's biggest temptation is women. But women's biggest temptation is the world because we are always drawn out by adornments, um, by cliques and ideologies and just by the lies. You know what I mean? That um, and it's portrayed vividly in the book of Genesis. And this is just my speculation. I wouldn't take this as biblical doctrine, as a disclaimer. Um, This is my interpretation. That's it. Eve, the woman went off, ate the forbidden fruit, and then brought it back to her husband. And he would not have eaten it, right? In my interpretation, has she not brought it to him? And we got to be real about this. We got to be honest. He would not have eaten it had she not brought it to him. She would not have eaten it unless she was out <laughs> frolicking, maybe, who knows what she was doing? She was alone enough to have somebody else whispering in her ear, giving her, you know, instructions or quote unquote wisdom, right? Worldly wisdom that contradicted the order that she had been given. Women are easily drawn out. We are easily distracted. And the only way that we can be faithful and loyal to the men we say we love as if we have true humility. And I believe that is why the scripture emphasizes humility on women so much because of how easily drawn out we are and how easy it is for the enemy to put in our heads that, you know, we're above men, we're better than men, we're more refined than men. Men are holding us back. Men need us. We don't need them. And all these other lies. So when we talk about being feminine versus being girly, the scripture makes it very clear for us, right? Because any whore can be girly. Any whore can be dainty. And I'm so sorry for being vulgar. This is the language that the Bible uses. So that's just what I'm going to say, right? A prostitute. I'm not sure. <laughs> like if I can't use that word, I don't know what word to use because I don't want to say ho. So I'm going to just say whore. Any whore can have the qualities of being a feminine woman, but that doesn't make her a lady. That doesn't make her a feminine woman. And a prime example of this is Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe is to the Gentiles, you know, she's like their holy mother, Mary. You know what I mean? She is the epitome of womanhood and femininity to them. She is their standard. You know what I mean? In a world where we had Danielle Luna and the original um, 
oh gosh, what's her name? Betty Boop, <laughs> the woman who inspired Betty Boop. Um, and just this majestic Negro's beauty, because again, we cannot forget about the Tignon laws where African-American women in the South were forced to cover their hair because Gentile women could not handle our beauty. They cannot handle the fact that their men were in awe at our beauty. They cannot handle the fact that because of our beauty, our status and our reverence in society was elevated. So they wanted to instate a law that we must cover our heads. So for them, Marilyn Monroe was their redemption. She was their opportunity to say, we are the the standard of beauty. We will be exalted as a standard of beauty. But what is Marilyn Monroe and what does she represent? From what I understand, she left home early, right? And this is not even just based on my standard. This is what I've read from the word of what a, a woman should be and what a woman should do. She should not depart from her family. She should take care of her family. She should be modest. She should be chaste. She should put her hands to good work. And I don't just mean the work of vanity, right? Getting degrees and going to sit in an office. No, labor, right? Sowing and harvesting, planting, growing, cultivating, creating clothes. You know what I mean? Cooking, being a part of the community, being there. She should have humility. She should have self-control over her loins and her sexuality. And what we see, no matter how hard they try to paint Marilyn Monroe as just this all-dignified, quote-unquote, all-American princess who completely revolutionized um, the beauty industry, a.k.a. instated competition against African-American women, she was a whore. She literally had an affair with the president of the United States. But was she not a feminine woman? Wasn't she girly? Wasn't she dainty? Didn't she have a little bit of mystique, right? She was beautiful. She was comely. She always put thought into her appearance and she had those bashful eyes. She was a whore. Let that be a lesson. You can look any way, you can present any way, you can act any way, but at the core of your heart, we're going to see whether a biblical woman lives there or not. When we shine a light or a lantern or light a candle in your heart, aka when the word comes out, when it's time to obey the word, when it's time to be who the word says you should be and not who the world says you should be, that's when we'll learn whether at the core of you is a biblical woman or not. Not how you present to the world. And I know that I sound harsh, but this is a serious matter. Because we have daughters. And if you don't have a daughter, you you might have a daughter. You know? You have nieces. You There are sisters in the world. And even for the women who don't have daughters, the scripture still makes it clear. Let the aged woman... Teach the younger women. This is our responsibility. It will never go away. We need to share. We need to tell the young sisters 
Don't follow after these whores. Don't try to look like these whores. Don't dress like these whores. Don't speak like these whores. Don't think like these whores. Don't act like these whores. Because you know what? Those whores ruin their own lives. Those whores ruin their own lives. I used to be a whore, sister. Whoever you are listening to this, I was a whore. I ruined my own life. Whoredom destroys lives. Because you are being lied to. You're being drawn out by the enemy. The book of Proverbs says, <laughs> a man follows a whore down into her house and he doesn't come back. He dies there. It's like going down into the grave. Because nothing good comes of it. It destroys families. It gives you STDs. It, it makes you insane. You open your body and your vessel to spirits. Because what is a human being? What is a female body but a vessel? A, a, a cavity. Teach the younger women. Teach your daughters, your nieces. Do not destroy your life with whoredoms. And don't be afraid to offend because of feminism. Don't be afraid to offend and hurt feelings because, you know, oh, we don't live in those times anymore. No, we still live in those times. <laughs> we still living in the patriarchy, sis. <laughs> Men still control our daily life. Men will never lose their ordinance or their power over us. That is the most high's will. And yes, men have abused that. No, men have not been great. No men have not been perfect, but the scripture does tell us as women, when we do our part, we will be saved. When we do what we're supposed to do, we will find safety. He will protect us. He will provide for us. He will redeem us. Do not let, you know, sisters, your daughters, nieces, whatever. When you see it, don't let it go. Say it one time. Use the word one time, cut them with the word one time. And then, you know, if they choose not to listen, that's all you can do. But at least try, at least say something because there is a epidemic of women who are <laughs> 30 to 35, who cannot find a man, who are you know, quote unquote, losing their fertility. I don't necessarily believe they're losing their fertility. Sure. I think it may diminish a little bit, but for the most part, you know, if the most high has motherhood in store for that woman, there ain't nothing nobody can say or do to stop it, you know, but they feel like they're losing their fertility and their youth, um, maybe even their beauty or, you know, the things that make men attracted to them, i.e. their girliness, their femininity right? Because they spent their 20s whoring in a way. And again, I'm so sorry to be so, <laughs> so harsh. You know, I don't want to be harsh, but this is the truth. And I almost came close to whoring away my 20s until the most high woke me up. They spend that time being with this man, being with that man, getting these gifts, right? This is what the scripture says, getting these gifts, right? Getting this oil, getting this wine, getting this flax, getting this flour, getting this wool, going on dates, getting flowed out, right? Getting flown out. 
going on shopping trips and just doing all these marvelous fun things and you know the things that um feminism tells women that they're worthy of that they have the power to acquire from men through whoredom like girl you, you always lose in whoredom i don't know who needs to hear this but you will never win in whoredom whoredom is a losing game for everybody that plays for men and women for families for lineages for your destiny and most importantly your soul We have to respond and take accountability for these on that faithful day. On that day that's sure to come, the Most High is going to make an inquiry of you and you'll have nothing to say. If you see this, say something. Try to help a sister. Try to let a sister know like you're worth so much more than this. And not only that, you need to have foresight and see that this is not sustainable for you beyond your 20s (laughs) the enemy wants to use and abuse your youth and then when you turn 30 the enemy's gonna just see what you try to become of yourself how can you pick your dignity up off the floor and then you'll be sad mad and bitter that the men that you like or the men that you had access to as a whore that doesn't mean that those men will marry you That doesn't mean that those men will want to be with you long-term or commit to you. That doesn't mean that any man would want to. Why? Just simply because you're a whore. And it's not that, you know, not because you're sexually liberated or anything like that. Like, it's because you're a whore. You know what I mean? Most men, to be honest, really, to be frank, they don't care if you've had, you know, sexual partners in the past. It's the mentality. It's the whoredom. It's the mentality of a whore that you carry with you. That you can always do better. You know, there's bigger fish in the sea. You know, you you have the mind of a whore. We have to put these things away. We have to stop letting the world define what femininity is for us. Because femininity to the world is Marilyn Monroe. Femininity to the world is Kim Kardashian. Or femininity to the world is Lori Harvey, right? Femininity to the world is a young, good-looking, nice-smelling, well-put-together, soft-speaking, mysterious, but glamorous idol. Who is a whore. Nothing about femininity to the world involves self-discipline, modesty, chastity, motherhood, submission to her husband, obedience to the word, sobriety, being simple, having moderation. That's not what femininity is to the world. That's just, that's being girly. I'm so sorry. Like, that's just being a whore. That's being a girly woman. That's being a Jezebel. And we have to say that. It's time to start calling it what it is. It's time to start calling a duck a duck. Because if you don't, they're going to start, you know, they're going to grab your daughters. Like, I'm just going to say it. We have to be willing to keep it real and say, this is whoredom. 
I don't, I, I honestly feel like this generation, right? Gen Z women and millennial women. And of course it's not all right. But Gen Z women and millennial women were failed by the generations preceding them because they were afraid to say the word whore. They were afraid to define the word prostitute accurately. And they were afraid to use the Bible to do it. Because the main thing that feminists like to attack is any type of religion that demands um, chastity from anybody, not just from women, because the scripture is, it demands chastity of men too. Now, does that mean men always abide in it? No, but what do that got to do with us? Nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. Just because somebody else isn't doing anything, that doesn't mean we have to follow suit. And we see the damage that has occurred in the human race right? Nationality aside, across humanity, period, what has taken place because women decided they were no longer going to uphold these virtues. We're losing our grip. And it's time to say the word whore out loud because it's a word that the Most High uses to refer to the Monroe type. And it's a word that the Most High uses to refer to us time and time again. And we have to ask ourselves why, and we can't be afraid to confront it in the face. It's because <laughs> we followed after the world. And my message today is to turn away from those girly things, the adornments, the beauty. You know, again, I ain't saying look raggedy because if it's one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to look put together, you know. <laughs> If it's one thing, sister, I'm just going to do, I'm going to look good. But what does that mean when, when there's rottenness in your heart? What does that profit you when you don't have the fruits of the spirit? You're not gentle. You're not kind. You're not sober. You're not walking in the real truth. You're not embodying the Most High's vision for a biblical woman. So what good is it? What gain is it to be beautiful? What gain is it to be soft-spoken? What gain is it to have a nice figure? What gain is it to have the attention of men? When in your heart there's a whore who's willing to do whatever it takes for the things of the world. And that's just generally what a whore is. Having no loyalty or humility towards your creator, right? Whoredom is not just sexual. It can be, you know, you deciding to take a job that the Most High doesn't want you to take simply because you fear your bills, you know, your, your life's getting cut off. You disobeying your husband simply because you don't trust his leadership. That's whoredom. It's time for us to have a one-track mind. It's time for us to submit our minds. It's time for us to humiliate our, <laughs> our subconscious mind. We have to humiliate the inner Jezebel daily. She needs to be stripped naked daily. She needs to be humiliated daily, brought to her knees daily. She needs to beg daily. She needs to repent daily. Because your daughters and your lineage is going to get swept away by whoredoms if you don't. I'm not trying to fear monger. 
I'm just trying to keep it real. In my journey, um, it has been so tough for me to not even like repress the inner Jezebel, but to acknowledge the Jezebel that I've battled um, and put an end to her. You know what I mean? In a way that is thorough, not just in a, okay, you know what? I'm changed now. I'm repentant. So whatever that voice is, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to do those things anymore. You know, I'm trying to follow the most high. Like, no, like actually speak them out loud, share them with other people, share it with my husband, you know? And I know that you sisters may fear, maybe you don't fear. I don't know. Um, the shame. I know I have had the shame. Shame is a survival mechanism <laughs> that the human race has had since the beginning of time. Literally. Adam and Eve felt shame the moment they realized they were naked. The moment they ate that forbidden fruit. Will we have shame had they not eaten that? Maybe not. I mean, I doubt it. Maybe that's not the a most high's original intent for man and woman is to have any shame at all but because they ate the forbidden fruit we do have shame and shame now is a tactic that we use to avoid the undesirable outcome and I know that you may have you know a view of shame that is not good you know and to a degree shame is not necessarily beneficial when it's time to evolve right? When it's time to grow and when it's time to learn from your mistake, but shame can definitely help you avoid certain things. And in this conversation, when you feel that shame, that's where vulnerability comes in. Vulnerability is saying, I feel this shame. I feel this um, fragility and this feeling of being exposed, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. I'm going to do the deed anyway. I'm going to partake anyway. So that I can grow, so that I can evolve, and so that I can have help, right? So that I can actually dwell in my femininity and rest in my femininity and experience true masculinity around me. From my husband, from the Most High, from your camp leader or whoever, your father. So that you can know provision. Don't run from... um that aspect of being a woman, your vulnerability in sharing these things that you've been through, the things that you have done, because that's where the healing comes in, you know, and you're not alone. Um, our brothers have done things too in the world before repenting. And from what I see from lots of men in the truth, they're very forgiving. They have a lot of grace. And so maybe it's time for you to open up. Maybe it's time for you to talk about these things because that's the only way you'll find healing. This is the only way where you will, you'll find redemption. You know, you'll find a way to say, I was that person, but that person is not me. I did those things, but that doesn't define me. I engaged in those things, but look at where the most high has brought me. And in doing that, you'll be opening the door for so many other women to do the same thing. 
you be opening the door for other women to avoid those mistakes. And to repent before it's, before they even get to the point that you got to. That's what's important. And what I see from the worldly women, the, the worldly aged women, they're not saying that. They're not being truthful. They're not being honest about how whoredoms ruin their life. Because they're, they're stuck in the house with their six cats. They're miserable. They work at a bar. You know, or they work at a restaurant. And there is nothing wrong with being in public service at all whatsoever. And I hope you don't take that as what I mean. It's not. I'm just saying she's living a dead-end life. She's living a mundane, dead-end life with her six cats. No man. No children. No savings. Right? So she's going to be working well into her 60s. If she don't get a disability and have to go on Social Security, these women are not being real about what their decisions have done to their lives. And it's time for us to be that voice. It's time for us to say that whoever you are, no matter how old you are, you need to be real because you never know how your vulnerability is going to uplift the next sister. And that is what sisterhood is all about. And if you are not on that level, I will never call you my sister. If you're not in that place, you're not my sister. Because we got to look out for each other. We got to look out for the young sisters. And we also got to hold the older ladies accountable. Because they're supposed to be teaching the younger ladies. We got to pull together. We got to come together as a people. We got to have our own backs because you know what the Gentile women are doing? They're slowly but surely trying to pull together to save their declining birth rate. And they're doing it silently. They're having a complete revolution silently of women saying, whoredoms is really bad. (laughs) Let's turn around and have babies. Let's turn around and get married. Let's turn around and be traditional. And what are you doing? And this is not, you know, to anybody specific that is listening. This is just to Israelite women across the board. 900. 900. 900 Israelite babies, black babies in America alone get aborted every single day. 900. That's almost a thousand That's almost a thousand. 900 black babies are aborted in the United States every single day. We need to start talking. We need to start opening our mouths. We need to start talking to these young sisters. And not even just these young sisters, it's these married sisters too, or these sisters that already have children. You know why? Because most women statistically that get an abortion already have children. The baby that they're aborting would would be their second or third or even fourth. And that's a problem. That's an issue. It's not okay. And what we're afraid to say is that it's a product of whoredoms. Even if she's married and getting an abortion. 
even if she's in a long-term faithful relationship and getting an abortion. It's whoredoms because it's against what our Lord, our husband, our redeemer is shy, is she, the one whom we will no longer call by Alim. It's against what he has ordained for us as the one who saved us and espoused us in righteousness and in faithfulness. That's whoredom. And yet, look at our hair, look at our nails, look at our figures. Look at us. We look so great. But what's on the inside? It's time to make a change. It's time for us to stand up and it's time for us to repent. This is a great way <laughs> to close out season one of the Waterhood podcast. Watered Womanhood podcast. With a bang. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. I'm so blessed. Again, on top of all the wonderful feedback and the wonderful connections that I've been able to make with these sisters, the biggest blessing of all is my own growth in this, like my own self-reflection and my own just journey from, you know, a girl to a woman. And if you've been listening all year long, then you've heard me say a few times already that um, I didn't actually move in with my husband until April of 2021. And basically, I've been podcasting throughout um, my whole first year, just about, you know, of living with my husband as his wife. And so I hope that you just go back from the beginning and re-listen um, and follow my journey because I've tried to share, I've tried to be more personable. <laughs> I know that I can be a little standoffish, but I promise I'm friendly, okay? I'm friendly. And this new season just got so many great things. I don't want to spoil it, but we have so many great things coming up. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining. I'm just giving a shout out to you right now because I'm blessed to be able to fellowship with you in this way. And um, I appreciate your support. I really do. And again, I appreciate your prayers more than anything because that's what I need the most. I need prayers the most. Um, and the favor that I'm asking of you today, if you are married and you are above the age of 35 and you're listening and you would consider yourself a biblical woman or a repentant woman in general, I ask that you would find <laughs> that you would find a young woman who's in or who's not in the truth and you would take her by the hand and you would tell her that she's beautiful and you would tell her that the most high knows her struggle and you would tell her that she's worth more than this and that if she waits on him he will deliver her and that she doesn't have to do what the world says she needs to do in order to get what she wants. 
that there is deliverance and that there is rest waiting on her. That you would share your testimony with her and the things that you've been through. That you would talk to her about the devastation that whoredom creates. Talk to her about other people's lives. You know, I was watching a series of abortion testimony videos and one of them in particular really, really stuck out to me. You know, this young sister was, you know, her her video was basically about how abortion really affected her and changed her, but, you know, she didn't really regret it, which is fine, I guess. Hey, live your life. That's your life. Um, <laughs> at the beginning, she replayed a series of TikTok videos that she had made, right? So the first in the series was a video of her finding out she was pregnant, and then the second video was her making the abortion appointment, and then the third video was of her sitting in the abortionist's office. And then the fourth video was her crying <laughs> and realizing like, whoa, I just did something that was not quirky and cool and fun and trendy, <laughs> you know? And what stood out to me the most was that third video of her sitting in the abortionist's office, you know, in her body language. She looked terrified, but she also looked like she knew this was her rite of passage into modern womanhood. Like she just looked like, yes, I'm terrified. I have some idea about what's about to take place, but I'm doing it. Everybody else is doing it. Like that's just what the vibe that I was getting from her. You know what I mean? And we have a responsibility because these young sisters are doing these things because of the lack of older women and the lack of, um, you know, just role models in general who are willing to say the truth, who are willing to say the truth. And that's really the bottom line, right? We say we're walking in the truth, living in the truth. We got to speak the truth too. We have to share it with these young sisters and let them know, you know, wrap them in your arms, love on them. That's my favor today. If you're 35 plus and you're married and you're repentant and you will consider yourself a biblical woman or somebody else might consider you a biblical woman, find a young lady this month. Talk to her, speak to her, share your story. Encourage her otherwise. Give her some resources. Give her the scripture. Because the enemy is trying to grab your daughters, grab the sisters, and grab women, period. Because we are very strong and purposeful vessels. We are very potent. We do have a power that men do not have. And if we don't put that power in the hands of the Most High, the result is devastation every single time. No matter what it looks like. This has just been so heavy on my heart because oh, I've been watching a lot of videos of women who are like 30 plus 
uploading their TikTok videos of them panicking. Like, I can't find a date. I can't find a man. I'm ready to settle down. I'm ready for a commitment. And pretty much no man will have me. And the scripture says there will come a day where, you know, seven women will cleave to one man. Just like, look, we don't even care. You don't have to love us. You don't have to care about us. Just give us your name and give us your provision. <laughs> you know, not even your provision. Hell, we'll make our own bread. You know, we'll we'll go gather our own grain. Just please cover us. Just, just give us your name. Just espouse us. We don't want to be all out here uncovered. We don't want to be, you know, have our shame uncovered. And this cycle needs to stop. And the thing that those women, those same women who are making these videos complaining about these things, they're not going to come out and say it's because of whoredoms. They're not going because they're selfish. And to some degree, sure, they do need to protect themselves and have some mystique and decorum, you know, because not everybody needs to know your business. But at the same time, if you're truly repentant and you're truly following the most high, that truth is going to come out. And you'll want other young women to know feminism or not. This is not how you want to spend your 20s. This is not how you want to spend your life. This is not how you want to get down. Because you're going to turn 30 and you're going to wake up with a wise mind. You're going to wake up with the mind of a wise woman. With a completely new perspective. And you're going to regret those things. You're going to look back in shame. You're going to be ashamed to look people in the eye. You're not going to go to people's baby showers in peace. You're not going to be able to go to weddings in peace. You're not going to have no peace. You're not going to be able to live in peace with yourself. Do yourself a favor and turn away from whoredoms. And for you wives out there who are, you know, living faithfully with your husband, there still could be whoredoms in your heart. There still could be whoredoms in your life. Places where you are disobeying your husband or just not having consideration of him in general. Not giving him the preference, you know, or not taking care of yourself. Not spending time in the word. Neglecting to teach your daughter these things. Or turning a blind eye to things in your home that need your attention. I know I most certainly could. That is all for today's episode of Watered Womanhood. I hope you've been watered. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider making a small contribution towards the sustainability and production of the only biblical femininity podcast for Israelite women. $1, $5, whatever y'all puts on your heart, all donations make a difference. And you can use the link in the description to get started. Be sure to follow, favorite, and leave a review wherever you're listening to make this podcast even more visible to other Israelites. Remember that you can stay up to date and join us for some interesting dialogues at thehebrewhousewife.com. And go ahead and join my newsletter for some members-only perks. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15. Until next time, Shabbat Shalomah.